This is a Whole Home Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are now getting close to halfway in the first season of Ladies. And because that's the case, after this episode and the next one, I will be recording a special episode with a special guest to sort of recap the season so far, reflect on what has happened since the podcast launch in February, and respond to some questions and feedback that I've been given. And I'm really excited about it, and I hope you don't skip that episode, especially because I think it will help shape how we all share in the podcast moving forward. And also, please remember, you can listen to the Whole Home Podcast on Spotify, as well as Apple. And of course, you can find all of the episodes on www.wholehomepodcast.com. And if anyone is interested in purchasing a Whole Home mug, I still have a few left. And I have a woman sitting before me patiently waiting for my hello. Hello, Sam. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. And now you've recorded a podcast with both Leterios. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so you recorded that like with Ryan two years ago, right? Was it that long ago? Maybe it was just last year. Was it last year? I think so. Okay. So yeah. That was placemaking. Right. Yep. Oh, yes. That was a good one. I will post that in the notes. And so I also am bad with time as that keeps showing itself on the podcast, but I've known you for a minute now. You're a Ryan student. I'm back in the day, <laughs> whatever day. 2015. We did an independent study. Okay. Yes. And then I helped with the gallery pretty quickly after he would talk about you before I really knew you. Yeah. And yeah, he would tell me stories. He was really refreshed by you and he really appreciated you a lot. And then you went to our CG and then you left it. Yes. Okay. What do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> about when we met or just yeah, that time? Us, us. Yes. Yeah. So I, I met you mm-hmm. the first time I went to a CG at Remnant and that was when we went to your CG. And it was very crowded and I was very shy. Yeah. But you were very kind and you made sure to find me and kindly get me to get my, my email and my information to, to reach out and follow up. And yeah. uh, I'd never experienced anything like your house before wow. <laughs> and your family. And it really blew my mind. And then fast forward, we did your marriage counseling yes. with your husband, um, which you'll share about him later. And that's all I remember. <laughs> but now I know the current, at least, that you're a very, very dear friend of our family. And um, I love you very much. So jumping into Sam's podcast, Sam's notes that she gave me, or I shared with her unprecedented notes. <laughs> and um, they're beautiful notes. And they definitely, I saw them and went, Wow that the story that God is writing in your life is very evident. And then you had like these four broad categories that you wanted to hone in on. So Sam's podcast might be a little different than others to sort of tailor to the way that God has showed her what he's doing in her life. But anyways, I wanted to ask you, Sam, when you were making your notes, like how did they come about? Because you you drew these flowers. Like, did you draw the flowers first? The metaphor came up first. So I was trying to workshop and write notes and figure out what um, what I could think about saying to answer these questions. And it was getting harder and harder. I was getting more dejected. And I finally was like, Shane, what do I talk about? What even is a single harvest? That's <laughs> I got <laughs> nothing. Go? I've got nothing. And he just was like, Sam, like, 
you're not worried about this, 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 and this anymore. These mm -hmm. were issues and then they're not issues. And you just started listing off things that mm -hmm. are just massive testimonies. I was like, oh my goodness. So then I went back through my big cloud of notes and realized that a lot of those things kind of fell into those four buckets. Um, it was four clear strands of God's providence that are really evident. And uh, I started to think of them like four different plants in a garden, yeah. each one having its flowering fruit and then also underground where no one would really see them. They've got these twisted roots. There's a past, there's a history there. And then there's the present moment with, with uh, its its branches. And I thought of the soil that all of that, all the nutrients, <laughs> all the nutrients is being drawn from as, as the church, yeah. as this community, as the place where I was transplanted from, the roots that I had, the crazy stories, now is being given life and funneling through that uh, in this, in this fertile plot where I've, where I've been set. And then I made a very large chart <laughs> yeah to put all the information behind the floral diagram <laughs> but i was i was tracking i loved it so much so so you said that the the flowers were suggested or by your husband or the categories i just think that is really amazing that you said you didn't see it not at, at all <laughs> yeah yeah but you had you had the brain dump i had a brain dump yeah yes <laughs> I could see some things. It just wasn't coming together. Mm -hmm. It was just an overwhelming pile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he came in and was like, duh. Yeah. Well, yeah. his gift is encouragement. So he's very excited about Jesus. And I love the Jesus. I'm but less inclined to be super excited. And he mm -hmm. was like, no, like we can praise for these things, mm -hmm. um, which is always a helpful reminder. Well, thank you, Shane, for being a part. And I guess let's jump into those tangled roots. <laughs> So where did you grow up, Sam? I grew up sort of in two places. I was born in southern New Jersey um, and lived there until I was nine. And then my father transferred uh, his job to South Carolina, just outside of Charleston. Mm -hmm. um, and I lived there until I left for school. I left for school a little bit early. I left um, to for a, a, a boarding school situation the last two years of high school and then here to to Richmond for VCU. Okay. Yes. Wow. Which is right, in, you know, Richmond, of course, is right in the middle of those two places. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was always a joke that um, I kind of landed home as an average <laughs> between yeah. the two places. Those sound like really punctuated places to live, like Jersey. And then I think of Charleston is so beautiful. Like, I don't know, in Jersey, <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> were they totally different? They were very different. There's not um, a tremendous amount that I remember about Jersey, mm -hmm. except for the continuous negative connotation that my parents used when they spoke of it. Yeah. Uh, they were very <laughs> glad to leave. <laughs> yeah. um, mostly what I remember is, you know, my house, my grandparents' house, especially uh, my grandmother who lived on the Jersey Shore. Okay. And I would spend like every weekend with her, especially in the summers. So I have sweet memories about the beach, but if anyone asks me about New Jersey, I don't remember a lot. Yeah. And then in South Carolina, um, we had a couple of acres sort of out in the country. And so my upbringing there was a little more detached from a lot of cultural activity and um, yeah. 
out in the woods. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I do have to ask, do you have like any Jersey accents in your family, if your family's from there? No, because neither of them, like they lived there, but they neither of my parents are really from Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my mom, her her dad is from around Trenton. Um, so he probably, of anyone in my, that I know, has the most stereotypically Jer- Jersey accent. Yeah. That, but my, my dad's family is from Western Pennsylvania. And then there's other family in New York State. Okay. Uh, so it's just very, just Yankee. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, a, a mix. And then when I moved down south, of course, everything was quite diluted. Mm-hmm. So there's there's different a different kind of tenderness, I think, associated with people's voices that mm-hmm. come from all those places because I recognize them, but can't put my finger on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a sweet way to put it. So when you moved down south, you were pulled away from family, essentially? Yeah, there was nobody else down there. My parents up and left when all of my family was, you know, within adjacent states mm-hmm. up north, um, which was really shocking to everybody. And they couldn't quite tell why <laughs> they were leaving. And um, I'm not sure my parents knew very well either. <laughs> they I think just wanted they wanted to leave New Jersey and live around palm trees. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but there had to be something else there because the doors and opportunities that opened in South Carolina were astonishing. And besides the fact that m- multiple um, multiple family members in following years um, joined us down south. Yeah. Yeah. So do you feel like a South Carolinian? More so. Yeah. More so, but I'm but I also know firmly that I'm not a deep southerner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So did your family like you said they lived kind of alone? So that's how you kind of grew up? You, not around people? You said they had land? A little bit of land. I mean, okay. we had a neighborhood. It wasn't like oh, okay. a proper, it wasn't a, a farm or anything. Okay. Um, but my dad, he appreciates this privacy because he, he did grow up on a proper farm. Um, so he, he, he likes um, being not being able to quite see your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that physical element to it, but also our house did not have a lot of activity in it outside of us. Yeah. Um, and occasionally our, our family, they didn't have lots of people over very much. So, Okay. So I guess just tell me real quick about your parents. Like, what did they do? And then we'll jump into you. <laughs> yeah. Um, my father worked at Costco for, you know, something like 20 years. And that that's the job that he um, transferred in um, between states. Okay. Um, and my mom, she was sort of at home. She sort of did odd jobs, medical transcription work. She did um, administrative work uh, in different places. But uh, they joined forces eventually when my dad started a landscaping company oh, cool. out of our house just from the ground up when I was like a young teenager um and he would do that alongside costco and gradually gradually you know step back from a high management position to a low management position to eventually he was just doing the most basic like i think he was at the gas station (laughs) or something um uh and then he finally quit costco and both he and my mom were doing the landscaping business full-time with Mm -hmm. us with with employees and myself included wow to you were you the only child I had one brother. Okay. Yes. My brother Ryan is four years younger than me. Okay. Yes. So when you were nine, like what kind of, you said that's when you moved, what kind of kid were they transporting? Did it like wreck you? Did you have to leave all your friends? And 
I don't know. I imagine it was hard. Or is that an easy age to kind of start over? I do remember being sad and nostalgic about the house that we were in before. I knew I would miss my grandparents. I wasn't leaving behind much as far as um, other social ties and friends, though. I was a very independent and awkward child. (laughs) So I I didn't really have friends when we moved. Uh, and, And there was also still something exciting about a new place. I think the adjustment was harder in my remembrance because there were definitely things that I struggled with at a new school down south. Like for one, the culture shock was wild. No one had ever said yes ma'am, no ma'am before. Like if you say that in New Jersey, you're being snarky Mm -hmm. and rude. But then I was in uh, third grade and my teachers were like demanding that I said this and I'm like, I was so so confused. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you said you were an independent kid and what other kind of character traits do you think could pull um, out? My mom says those very stubborn uh, and determined and very precocious. That was always something that she noticed art- artistically and then also with school. Um, mm-hmm. And I had a superiority complex <laughs> in some respects. Um, my mom would notice it um, with uh, the one cousin that I had who was my age who I played with and uh, I just loved to talk down to him in a mm-hmm. way that was uh, so that that behavior was looked down upon but I also was also constantly told how great I was it's the flip side of the yeah. being precocious bit yeah <laughs> yeah um, so that that was the uh, conflict with with that cousin of mine, um, as well as with my brother. Mm-hmm. I never got in trouble because I was a perfect student, um, okay. but I only got in trouble insofar as how n- nastily I spoke to my brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you all friends now? I budding, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I haven't known him. Okay. Wow. Right. Like, so when we were young. I didn't like him. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like him. We were extremely different. He was extremely boyish, and I couldn't see how those things about him were valuable, especially when the things that uh, how I was different also made me very admirable to my parents, being yeah. uh, very driven by school, and he was not. He was um, utterly bored and always tried to avoid work in school Mm. um and boys play in like rough aggressive ways and i wanted to build things and make things beautiful and he always was against that so i just saw everything that he was and was about as uh something that i couldn't respect so we didn't fight terribly much i mean he did he did try to annoy me and like poke my buttons and stuff um but we you know quickly stopped uh like fighting we just mostly ignored one another Mm -hmm. and then like i said i left i left the house pretty young and then we were just far away mm-hmm. so even though I had become a Christian you know a couple years before I left and I was growing in my faith as I was growing in my faith I was more or less always out of the house okay. so I wasn't growing in Christ with him so we were kind of just stuck in the pattern of separation yeah. and it's only now where he's just finished the Marines like last month. So now he's going to be around more. Okay. (laughs) So maybe we'll see how these things change um, going forward now that we're adults. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because you're near your parents again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because they moved. They're not not in South Carolina anymore. They're in Virginia. Yeah. 
So exciting. Okay, mm-hmm. well, we'll probably get back to some of that later. But, okay, so let's see. Then if you weren't close to your brother, were you close to either of your parents? Who who were you close to? Um, I mean, I was, I was close to my parents in a sense. I think my most intimate relationships were with my girlfriends, which I eventually I eventually did make a friend yeah. <laughs> in South Carolina. Um, I think I actually met my first friend there, my first best friend, that is, when the teacher told me that I couldn't read anymore at recess. I had to put my books away. Mm. And she had this other favorite child and said, you, you played with Samantha. Um, mm-hmm. That's how I met that friend. But, but yeah, so I always had one, maybe two really close friends mm-hmm. that I would spend like every weekend with and sleepovers all of the time. Um, okay. Yeah, very intimate with my girlfriends. So you would talk about books or would you? Oh, we'd talk about books. We'd, we'd watch movies. We would do makeovers. Yeah. Um, we Super would, girly? Somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. We would imagine, uh, we would imagine stories and worlds. We would pick up crafts together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so kind of like thing. a sister? <laughs> yeah, like a sister, because I yeah. didn't have one. And your parents were fine with you just being out of the house? That's that's different for me. My parents were always really super guarded, mm. I guess I should say. Well, we never went anywhere. Okay. I was always just either her house or my house. Okay. So no, like, amazing malls in Charleston? <laughs> no. <laughs> None of that? Nope. Okay. Did you play in the woods? I did. Um, I did. It's even later probably than it makes sense to be out playing in the woods. I do I remember being extremely fond um, of, of my parents' property uh, in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I would just go out and wander around and um, they had all their landscaping stuff like nestled back into the woods. And, um, and later on, as I was in school and away from that a lot, when I was there, I would like take pictures and it would, a lot of, it would feed that longing for that life and being in nature um, Mm -hmm. and being connected to that nature through the work. I would bring those things back with me to school, to to Richmond and like put those in my art in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is there any other strong like ties to places or people that you could pull out? I mentioned the beach earlier and that's always been important to me. That that's where my earliest memories are the kind of play always alone that I'd have at the beach, but mm-hmm. um, it wasn't alone there because there's the ocean, yeah. there's the whole ocean, um, and that was uh, hugely enchanting to me. I would pretend to be a mermaid for hours and hours and hours, and the water is cold in New Jersey, so my lips would be blue, yeah. but I didn't care. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then as I'd revisit that later um as a christian i finally connected oh wow like what's amazing about the ocean is that unbounded power Mm. that a loving father puts out where he could destroy you and it could destroy you at any moment but it's actually there to play in and that's a wild accurate picture of what the world is like Mm -hmm. um and i yeah i remember being enchanted by that yeah early Sam, I just realized I forgot to ask you what those four words were. Oh, oh my gosh, that's so funny. (laughs) Do you mind sharing Um, them? (laughs) The first was friendship or community. The second was marriage and femininity. The third is children and um, nurturing joy. The fourth one was um, art making and the identity that's wrapped up in that. Okay. 
Okay, so now keep those in mind, everyone, <laughs> as we weave through this. So let's see. Well, I'd just like to tease out a little more of your childhood. Did you have aspirations to be anything when you grew up? Yes, I wanted to be an artist. Okay. <laughs> yes. How did you show that? I, I mean, I was always drawing, and most kids draw a lot and um, make things with their hands. Um, but I think I was six either four or six when it really became cinched as oh this is what you are Samantha and that was both like me and I and I wanted to but also when it was recognized and therefore um encouraged I just went out in the garden uh my of my, my Grammy's garden and sat down on a beach ball in front of this uh, garden statuary thing that she had. And I, just, I, and I drew it from life mm. and went back and just showed my parents like I normally would. And they, everyone there, they weren't like, oh, wow, how cute, wonderful. Like normal, they were like, their mouths closed and they were like, oh, no one can do this. <laughs> <laughs> this is strange. <laughs> yeah. um, and there were no other artists in my family. Okay. I was unprecedented, but my mom, you asked if, like I was close with my parents. Mm-hmm. I don't think we were extremely uh, like emotionally divulgent or, mm-hmm. or um, I, didn't, I think share a ton with my mom like I did with my, with my friends, but she was a, a wonderful agent mm-hmm. and that's how she loved me yeah. <laughs> uh, and or lived, lived through me in a way. Um, she was very, very proud of me and always did her darndest to find the best way to nurture what she saw. So even I, if she didn't understand it, nope. Even if she didn't understand it, yeah. Um, so I think I started my first real painting lessons when I was ten, um, and never stopped painting after that. And you know, worked to apply to an arts-centric middle school, a public middle school that was in the area, which eventually led to that that arts high school that okay. I went to later. Yeah. Okay. So I know a little bit about future you. So I'm just going to jump there. So I know that you're into philosophy. Yeah. So when did that start? That part was unexpected. Okay. Um, I had no idea that I had any interest in philosophy. I I wasn't even trying to take any of those classes when I was in school. Mm. Um, I thought that if I did, I would either love it or hate it. But I had to take a philosophy class because I was in the honors college and it was required. But I was very, very quickly, utterly blown away because my philosophy professor for that class was a Christian. Um, Were you? Yes, yes, in school. At at this time I was. And I was so thrilled, of course, always to find a Christian professor in the university. That's amazing. But what I found out more as I spent a lot of time with this professor was that there, number one, there were other Christian philosophy professors in the department. Um, and that was a general reflection of um, the discipline of philosophy as a whole, mm-hmm. as what it seems like one of the only, <laughs> one of the only remaining places it looks like where there's um, room for people to bring their transparent beliefs to the table mm-hmm. um, and talk about them in a way that doesn't you know, doesn't devolve into character assassination. Yeah. Like there's actual, actual discussions going on there, actual clarity of thought and and a sense of objectivity. Whereas I thought all of learning was about subjectivity and relativism. That's what the art school was floating around in. So, so I lashed onto that quickly and found that it was a 
a remedy and a complement mm-hmm. to the art education that I always knew I wanted because it gave me words to think and talk through what no one else could name. Mm. Yeah. So you're saying that your art, your identity in the arts or what you were learning was sort of like really loose for you up until that time? You hadn't, you didn't really have clarity on it? That's very interesting. Like what did you actually think that, what did you visualize for yourself as a young kid, you know, as an artist? I could only choose what was offered mm-hmm. and the track of being an artist is you so much as you can you go to go to the best art school and then what do you find out you do there you go into your master's you try to make money <laughs> yeah. try to get gallery representation yeah my mom even took me to galleries when I was like 13 and <laughs> okay so that's what you really saw for yourself like the yes. I don't know. I don't want to name any famous artists, but that's what you were thinking about and nothing else. Like you weren't thinking side job. No, no, not at all. It was (laughs) my whole plan. (laughs) Yeah. Whole plan, plan A. Yep. You probably weren't really involved in any clubs or other activities where you like totally focused. I actually was involved in a lot. I said she was my agent. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's hear about it. (laughs) So we tried every, like she let me try a lot of things, several sports. I wasn't good at them. Mm -hmm. I probably did basketball the longest, but it only worked because I was tall. Mm -hmm. Um, I did uh, musical theater in middle school. I did band in middle school. I played the clarinet. Um, I did a lot of volunteer work. Part of the part of the rationale for doing a lot of things was she also knew that I, she wanted me. I was going to go to college for art, mm-hmm. but they were really big on we're not going to take out any loans for you, Sam, and okay. so you have to you have to get the scholarship. So she made sure that I had the most resplendent resume okay, <laughs> yeah. for 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 getting into school. Yeah, yeah. So we're what's like your lineage of college? Who went to college in your family? Was my that? dad didn't finish college. Okay. He dropped out. My mom, uh, I think, did a double major in, in philosophy, not in philosophy, in psychology and biology, but didn't end up using her degree directly. Mm-hmm. So she shares a hardworking and studious disposition, but she didn't have like a, a dream per se that she ended up living out mm-hmm. from that. So she wanted to make sure you had yours. I suppose. (laughs) Fulfilled? Yeah. Fulfilled. Okay. Any other random clubs? I just want to get them all, like any good ones. I'm sure I'm forgetting some. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) elementary school. um, I did some spelling bees. And I was on the quiz bowl team. Oh, I think the best one, I was on the robotics team in middle school. Okay. Yeah. All the stereotypes there. Yep. I've always wanted to see a spelling bee. Was it fun or totally stressed? Um, some, it was fun when I was doing well, uh-huh. but the problem, <laughs> one of the most utterly mortifying moments of my life is I qualified for like the regional, the regional spelling bee, the one that would be like televised if you won, like that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And there was this whole big buildup, like with, uh, newspapers covering who was going to be there. And my name was Bantley, my last name. Uh-huh. So I was the top of the alphabet, the very first person. And I missed the first word. Oh, no. And because I'd never seen anyone go, yeah. I didn't know, like, the procedure of that particular B. And I didn't know at first that I'd gotten it wrong. Like, I didn't oh, know what the no. b- buzzer meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of stood there awkwardly. And then I had to just sit at the back of the stage watching the rest of the spelling oh, bee. Oh, <laughs> do you know the word? I word. think it was energy. I just blanked and was like E-N-E. 
E-R-J-Y. I like for oh, no reason. Oh, <laughs> man. I bet you've never forgotten it. No, nope, never. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Is there any, just because I like to ask this question, are there any fun stories that your family likes to tell? Oh, well, they did have a nickname for me. One of my nicknames was Sammy Doo, and it was not because of Scooby-Doo. Okay. It was because I was so headstrong uh, and determined to do things by myself as a kid. So oh. I would say Sammy Doo when I was like two. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Let me do it. Let me put on my shoes. Let me, you know, put the straw in my juice box, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is Ransom like that? No. No. He he, uh, <laughs> he needs a lot of help. Yeah. <laughs> Mommy do? <laughs> yeah, he forgets to ask and you know, <laughs> fuss instead. But Okay. Let's see. Did you work? You haven't mentioned that yet. Have you had any jobs? Yeah, well, I worked for my parents um, every summer. Uh, oh, so it was like a paid thing. Yeah, they paid me. Okay. And that's, that's nice. actually how I paid for um, paid for a lot of school, especially like my lodging and everything. I, mm-hmm. I would save up and work really hard during the summers um, and then pay for my living expenses while I was at school. Um, Should I imagine like mulch shoveling? Yes. We okay. moved so many <laughs> tons of mulch. Rock. Rock. Moving. We did uh, paver jobs, which is really cool. I, I actually know how to install pa- paver patios. Mm-hmm. Um, mowing. The mowing was great. That's just like riding a chariot and you could sing really loud if you were listening to music and no one could hear you. <laughs> Never in my life have I heard the mower called the chariot. It is a chariot. It's so good. <laughs> really filthy and really hot and really sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> but chariot of fire. Chariot of fire. But, oh, man, it, it was tiring, exhausting, and it worked really hard. But it was it was really nice to go to sleep because you were tired. Yeah. Not because you were stressed or anything else. Your, your body just gave up. It was great. Yeah. That's something that Ryan always says about you is that you were very hardworking. And you mm. said you got that from your parents. Yes. They sure. always worked very hard. And I also, because uh, that wasn't enough working <laughs> uh, over the summers, I did have um, a work-study job while I was in school. Um, mm-hmm. I was the studio assistant for craft and material studies all four years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's get into this feminism club. Spill it. <laughs> um yeah, that was when I was at the the governor's school, the, the the arts boarding school. There was a feminist feminist club, and I was a part of that, and probably some other clubs. I don't remember, but I definitely considered myself a, a hardcore feminist. I didn't think I had a very fully developed understanding of what that meant, and there are some inklings of concerns there that I still share now, as far as like preserving like human dignity. Like that's the 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 upside of what I feel like was I was drawn to at the time but but also I was um just uncritically saturated with the world view that I'd grown up in mm-hmm. that the things that were worth doing or magnificent things are the kinds of things that go on resumes mm-hmm. um and that wasn't a question for me uh I couldn't quite see menial labor or so-called menial labor as as valuable um you just mentioned really quickly why you why you think you were drawn to that club, but in hindsight now, do you have a different perspective of why you might have been drawn to it, or do you still see it the same same way? Oh, um, well, I wouldn't consider myself a feminist anymore. <laughs> yeah. We can get that off the table, <laughs> um, and that that has to do with a change 
of course, in how I view uh, how I view uh, womanhood and 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 um, God's plan for that and celebrating that that that's one side of it. The other piece, the other major uh, quote feminist concern I had, especially was like bodily objectification of women, mm-hmm. and personally for me that was my teenage insecurity speaking. And I was like longing and looking uh, so hard for uh, an answer to that. Like, why Mm -hmm. do I hate myself? (laughs) Like, why do I feel ugly? Why does my mom feel ugly? Like, what's going on in society? Obviously, society is the problem. Mm -hmm. And that's that's one of the things that I feel like points to Christ oddly, because I'm at a place now where, oh, he is the answer to those things. Mm -hmm. Um, Society isn't the first problem. And the patriarchy isn't the thing that makes that happen. But uh, yeah, Christ actually answers all those insecurities and causes us to respect one another well. Yeah. Do you even, you said you thought about yourself, about your body in an insecure way, but about your like internal side, about your mind, did you feel like you were like a static person or did you even have like this, a sense of growth in yourself? Like, did you even think about yourself in a moral agent way I don't know how to explain it because you said you were so much about what you did right yeah I definitely did not see myself or I don't think I've ever had cause to reflect on myself that way until I became a Christian and then of course it was gradual thereafter mm-hmm. and I and I became you know more aware of weaknesses um, going into high school and college especially as I made mistakes that were clearly mistakes mm-hmm. <laughs> for the first time um, I got began to know myself better on an, in, in that in, internal way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where you have to tell me, where do you want to tell your story about how you came to Christ? Or do you want to reflect on something else first? <laughs> That's probably an important piece because yeah. we've been floating around it. Yeah. So it, for clarity, I became a Christian when I was 13 in connection to that very close friend that I had at the time. Mm-hmm. She, it was um, sixth grade, she moved away, out of state, far away. And her family started going to a church and she got really involved in the youth group. She got baptized and we were emailing about oh, okay. everything, trying to stay in touch. And I was so disturbed by these things that she was beginning to tell me about reading the Bible and being baptized. I was like, why wow. do you care? And she, you, she's 13 as well. Yeah, 12, 13. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just was, Ava being 13, it just really helps me yeah, have a that's perspective. Wild, yeah. 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 I was so disturbed. I was like, um, can we be friends? Like, will we continue to laugh at the same things? Like, I know it's already hard, her moving. Um, but then the wackiest thing happened. Her father's job there didn't work out. They moved back um, the following year. And uh, we picked up our friendship, and her family started going to a different church. And since I was there so many weekends, I would go with them. And I remember that first Sunday service, I was there uh, at that church. It was a sermon, ironically, from a female pastor, all (laughs) about uh, God's love and the depth and um, breadth of his love. And it utterly shook me. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit works, because even though in many respects, that was not a solid church. And as we mentioned, I was not prone to self, like moral self-criticism. I didn't have a a great sense of my sin. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit revealed my sin to me there, even in that, you know, kind of half gospel, because I realized, oh, 
Well, God loved me enough to die for me. Just the fact that I have seen fit to ignore him and marginalize him my whole life, that's condemnable. Mm -hmm. And that's awful. And I felt the need to say, I'm sorry, and I would like to walk with you now. Mm -hmm. And... uh, yeah, walked away from that 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 service just crying to David Crowder's how he loves and yeah. <laughs> that that was it. Um, and then after that, me and this girlfriend, um, we would read the scriptures together and oh my goodness, go to youth group, all this stuff. Wow. Um, and that was actually the beginning of my whole family changing because my parents weren't weren't Christians before that. Maybe maybe my mom had this highly privatized. Catholic remnant sort of faith, but um, she didn't have many opportunities to exercise it because my father's head of, head of household was yeah. um, antagonistic to organized religion. Um, so he would, even if my mom would sometimes take the kids somewhere. Can I ask you real quick? Did yes. you have any faith lineage beyond them? Like, not that or anything? I recall. I do okay. know that my, my middle name's Kathleen, mm-hmm. and apparently that's, that's my father's aunt. Apparently my and Kathleen is a very devout woman. Okay. Um, but there's no one else in my family that I know of. Okay. So maybe she was praying for all of us. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So you see your family started to change. Yes. But my f- What was so, your friend's name? I feel like you got to say it. Oh, her name was Katie Cratchley. Okay. And I honestly don't know if she continued to walk with Jesus. Like, okay. I have no idea where she is. One of the mistakes that I, one of those mistakes I mentioned <laughs> in high school, um, you know, we, we kind of fell out, but... But yeah, my my, my father uh, wasn't wasn't friendly to organized religion. But once I started going so regularly to church and to youth group with Katie, my parents had to be like, okay, well maybe we should see what she's doing, oh, <laughs> what's yeah. going on. So so yeah, that was kind of an impetus, along with a lot of other, the, just the Holy Spirit moving a lot of things around, especially in my dad's life, to to to, to bring them to, to to an active and functional faith as I was as I was a teenager yeah. um, to the point where now they're domestic missionaries and at a Culpeper. Yeah. yeah. So who gave you a, your first Bible? Katie did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Do you have it? I don't know if I still have it. I'm uh, frightfully unsentimental. Yeah. <laughs> Purge things. <laughs> and it was one of those very, very cringy, like, girls' Bibles yeah. with, like, quizzes in the middle and yep. that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, I know those very yeah. well. Although I pretty sure I have all mine somewhere. I think they're in Ryan's studio. <laughs> I don't have, see, the thing is I keep some of this stuff, but I never want to look at it. Like, I'm like, I don't ever want to see that again. <laughs> I don't understand, but it's there somewhere. Okay. I am so interested in your family legacy. So did, did faith push forward into anyone else besides the three of you? It's, well, I guess we're still waiting. Okay. <laughs> we're okay. still waiting. Um, I'm still waiting to see if, ha- like, how how my brother like steps into taking taking his faith, taking ownership of it. Um, there wasn't terribly much room to exercise maturity in the Marines. Okay. <laughs> um, but now that he's back, it seems like he actually wants to follow the Lord. And since my parents and us and we're all going to be around. He'll actually have encouragement in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and, so, and some of my aunts and uncles have have been encountering the Lord in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but Yeah, super mm-hmm. cool. I guess I wanted to ask you, was it kind of messy then in your household if everyone is trying to follow the Lord, but you don't have examples of that? I don't know. Did your 
did your parents make friends that were Christians? Like, how did that all work out? Well, they did eventually become very involved uh, in the church that we were going to, and they were small group leaders. So so by the time um, that I was like 15, 16, and there, you know, a couple months out of the year, they, they, they were opening their house more regularly, at least weekly, for, for Bible study. What's just crazy about your story, Sam, though, God just saves people in such different ways. I don't. I don't think it's very common, or maybe it's just a lot more common for, like, I guess, a child to be saved and then their parents to be. To me, it just seems more normal the other way around. But the fact that it, you're the testimony that it can be done. And did you? You said though you never directly told your parents the gospel. You were just living as a Christian differently proximate to them. Yeah, the only really direct conversation I remember was, you know, as a very young Christian, I was learning in youth groups how to have a quiet time mm-hmm. and like how to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I was starting to try to do that. And I think one time I tried to bring it up to my mom and she was like getting defensive, like, why do you think you need to do that? And I, and I remember saying, mom, I just you say that we're Christians, but our house just doesn't seem any different. (laughs) What's, what's very Christian about our house. And and I think she was just mad and that conversation ended, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the time. So did your personality start to change? Who did you start to become? (laughs) Um, Or is, did that not happen until later? I think it's hard because I don't think about this time very much. We're we're talking middle school. We're talking like, yep peak cringe and I just don't look back there. Yeah, I get it. I get <laughs> at it. All. all right, let's fast forward then. Take take me to your boarding school. Okay, boarding school. You know, I was living there with Emily Donahue at the time, now mm-hmm. Emily Bynum. That's uh, how you met her? I met her in middle school actually. Okay. And we both went to the boarding school and and and, and we lived together there. And uh, she was also when I became a Christian, she would go to church with me and she kind of took the role that Katie had in a lot mm-hmm. of ways as far as uh, pursuing Jesus together. And uh, yeah, we, we did. I tried to lead a Bible study in the dorms mm-hmm. uh, when I was there. Um, we still we still went to church every week and she and I taught like the toddler class at church and served regularly. Our growth was stunted in some respects because the Christian community wasn't extremely strong. I'd no I had no older mentors. I still wasn't generally super vulnerable with lots of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so my faith then was very passionate and very tender towards Christ, but not grounded in uh, very solid church teaching. Mm-hmm. I was quite starved of that, even though I read books where I could. I didn't have any discernment. <laughs> yeah. And um, I really just had Emily. Like, we we didn't really lean on a ton of other people in the lived together way that we're obviously also familiar with now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you start, you started to talk about in your notes about your longing to be married, when did that start? <laughs> are we jumping back to middle school or are we yeah. staying in high school <laughs> oh, oh man I mean, I mean way way back she's I, clutching I was, her heart everyone i was uh i was in my 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 granny told me that i was a princess and princesses get married mm-hmm. uh, i mean there's i just there's just this um desire for romance from very very young yeah and i had my first boyfriend in freshman year of high school and was 
super infatuated so much so that I like lost my friends like yeah it was bad it was terrible <laughs> made made several several mistakes <laughs> over mm-hmm. the course of a few months um, but when it was over and that, that also pro- possibly in those mistakes was my most serious like concerted rebellion against the commands of God I just like walked away for that time because I was so entranced by actually by romance but when that ended and I was coming to my senses, I was like, I need to cling to Jesus and yeah. I will date no other men until I'm ready to be married. <laughs> <laughs> and I became like that super zealous, like purity person who's <laughs> so cringe. Yeah. <laughs> but so. Did you get all your girlfriends back? No, I just kept Emily. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> That's why she's still here. Yeah. Because um, she didn't run away from me then. So in so when i was a a later teenager i was pouring all of my desires uh for intimate connection like into jesus and also into preparing for my future husband Mm -hmm. um i wrote letters since i was 15 i have a that i didn't get rid of those i I do have a stack (laughs) of letters that i've written apparently to shane Mm -hmm. um all those years and yeah all the were sweetness active, and awkwardness they're in. <laughs> yeah, were you actively praying? Yes, I was praying. Yeah. Praying for him. That's so I pray I prayed that I wouldn't fall in love with anybody else. So, yeah. And I didn't date anyone until I dated him. So when you pictured a man, I don't know how to ask this question. Okay, thinking of your feminist club um, allegiance, what, what kind of marriage were you picturing? I don't know if I pictured a marriage. I think I just oh. wanted a wedding. I don't, yeah. I don't have thoughts <laughs> beyond it, really. I want cake. I know. It was like a beautiful dress. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Because it's not like I was supremely enchanted by my parents' marriage mm-hmm. at the time. Like, they weren't Christians. So, you know, it wasn't what I was looking for, like the princess prince thing. Mm-hmm. It was just a given that it needed to be there and that it would be excellent when I did it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're saying like, then you wouldn't even imagine being a mother then. Absolutely not. I, yeah. I, that was another one of those things that was a given. Like there was some just innate, like it's good to extend yourself and mm-hmm. like how amazing it is to um, make more people. But the mothering part of it was never a desire. It was a tolerated, uh, <laughs> yeah. That, oh, this is a looming reality that's coming because I'm not going to try to walk away from it, but it's coming and I'm scared. That's how it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you tried to not even think about that part. No. <laughs> Focus on the dress. Yes. Focus on the dress. Okay. So how did that, um, you said you were zealous for your singleness. Yes. How how did that go? <laughs> did you say single till Shane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was completely single till Shane, and I was busy. Okay, and I kept busy, um, both with school and um, the things that I was like the gifts that I was trying to steward. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, at that point, I was coming into a knowledge of oh, this isn't for me and my ego anymore. But mm-hmm. it's also the thing that I'm doing, and it seems important. So I was I'm going to do it well. I'm mm-hmm. going to do it really well. So I was busy with with school. I was busy with work, um, managing my resources. I went on a couple mission trips in high school. I uh, went to Peru once in college. But yeah, did you find any mentors yet later on in high school or early college? You know, I did. There, there was at least um, like the the main youth leader that I traveled to Guatemala with twice. Um, uh, she she was a sweet friend, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well. Why don't we share your obstacles, Sam? 
what are some obstacles you had to overcome growing up? You can go into the later years if you want, wherever you want to go. Hmm. Well, maybe this is a time to talk about the transition into Remnant. Okay, sure. Because, you know, a lot of things maybe I didn't know I was struggling with or didn't have any resources really to resolve them until that turning point, Mm -hmm. probably. Because where the, the big things I was lacking in my Christian walk were the community and the particular sharpening that could come walking in obedience with other people in a robust sense mm-hmm. and solid teaching. When I found those at Remnant, that, that I think changed the, changed the nature of the struggles. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, once I heard solid teaching about biblical femininity, I wasn't putting up a fight about that. I was like, oh, that's so much better than what I thought before. That's yeah. beautiful. That's wonderful. I want to be about it. And then it was just the internal existential dread of oh but i but i still feel like how i've always been mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean with the femininity piece particularly like especially since i was very intimate with my girlfriends i was always i always saw myself as performing in a more masculine way towards them so of the two friends i would be the more even keel, less emotional, kind of shepherding one, literally physically larger and stronger. Mm-hmm. I never felt very feminine. I cut my hair short, all of these things. Um, uh, and so there was kind of a lag between reorienting my desires to the scriptures and then myself yeah. <laughs> and my past kind of dragging behind and having to decide at different moments what's, what's more true. <laughs> and uh, of course, like, God's word is true, and his plan for us is the truth. So that's what won out. Um, But I didn't really feel like a woman proper until I was actually married. Mm. And or when we were dating and Shane was close to me and I hadn't been close to a man (laughs) before as a man and a man treating me as a woman. And then Mm. I was like, oh, that's what enlightens this reality. I was trying to grapple with these things abstractly. Mm. Um, but only being put into the reality made the truth obvious yeah. and tangible. And the same thing, the same thing with kids, right? Like I tried to, I kn- once I knew that I biblically need to w- love children, number one, because they're people mm. and we got to love them, <laughs> but also because I want to be a mom. It, I, I tried to volunteer with kids in like the nursery ministries and everything. And it was such a struggle. And while we were, and I mean, you remember while we were doing our premarital counseling, I was, mm. uh, I was at a loss. Yeah. Because that reality was looming so close. <laughs> and yeah. I still wasn't any closer to knowing how I would cope with it. And that only changed when we found out we were pregnant, yep. which was unplanned and sooner than we, and sooner than we anticipated. But then as soon as it was a reality, I was like, oh, no, I'm very happy. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy. And I didn't have to work for it at all, which is utterly shocking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is beautiful. And yeah. How would you explain that using the Bible? Go ahead. Using the Bible. Yeah. Explain that reality. <sighs> well, because the- what happens happened to you can't be unique, I'm saying, as far as like um, you not feeling prepared, but when like even just stepping into obedience. Right. Yeah, that's the pattern of obedience, that's the pattern of sanctification, and that's the effect of the gospel. So the gospel has to change our desires. So our old desires are um, 
oriented at things that are less than God. And so when they're recentered on him, they have to be uprooted and things have to change, which initially feels like a departure from, quote, who who I am or who you are. Mm-hmm. But the reality of the reality of Jesus, the desirability of Jesus is the thing that we were created for. So that's why a yes to Jesus, a death to self is always actually a yes for yourself. Like it's a yes for your joy, a yes for your happiness. And mm-hmm. uh, that's like always the pattern that I'm confronted with is just to expect that I've been wrong <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and move forward. Whoa. Even if I don't know what, like, what's going to happen or how I'm going to do well at this thing that I'm called to. Mm. I'm like, well, I actually am built for whatever this thing is, whether it's evangelism or community, all these things that I've, um, all these things that I've historically struggled with. Mm. It's interesting. So as you were moving forward in following Jesus, because you said you were heavily affirmed as a child until I'm not sure how old you were. How did that become less and less important to you if that was something that was kind of a given in your life? Mm. Um, my mind just went to Paul when he's talking about all of his Jewish accolades and their filthy rags. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, growing up into Christ made me, number one, more aware of the lurking sin that was behind all of my accomplishments Mm -hmm. um, and how just dark and harmful it was, even though I was supposedly a good kid. So I was made more aware of my sin and also less concerned with the things of the world. So I'm not, (laughs) both both because of its eternal value and also because in real life in adult life like actually no one cares what's on your resume like <laughs> in yeah. the real world it doesn't matter yeah. <laughs> and so i care so much less um about the self-reflective or, or self-reflexive features of uh like the gifts and the training that i have and it means something totally different now uh but it's detached from validation mm-hmm. yeah the art, go, just going back to the art making, because that's what you were pursuing when you were in your latter years. How did your love for it change? I guess did it at all? I mean, when you were in college, mm-hmm. it probably was totally different because you said the philosophy started to be pulled in too. And I guess I'm just intrigued now by college, Sam, because you probably came alive in a whole new way. If you yeah. were like, oh, my mind is connected to all of this as well, and now my heart is activated for the Lord and my hands and what I do. It's like all these things working together. Right. I mean, and and I was in the church at that point. So like the whole picture was coming together and I was (laughs) consistently caring less and less and less about school and more and more and more about what I was actually doing Mm -hmm. and what I was doing. Like I could probably care less if it made my professors happy or, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, Somehow you still got awards in college. I did. Yeah. I, you don't know. But. Best philosopher and best, what, fine artist? Um, yeah, I got I got pa- painting student of the year award one year. I did get uh, philosophy student of the year a different year. But How does I, one earn that? I've always wanted to ask you. I have you. no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I mean, I was... Uh, I was just engaged in class. Like I was, yeah. cause I'm engaged. I was so inter- into the, the content and mm-hmm. I did the work and those things will just go really far. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I, so, so I loved what I loved. Like I loved, um, you know, doing philosophy. 
Um, and and I did love painting, and I so I did I did I did my work in those respects. But e- but even when I was in college, it was being disentangled from just assuming the next step. Like I was not concerned at all about getting a master's degree. I knew that I was going to stay here in Richmond by mid- midway through. Uh, junior year I had met Shane and we quickly realized we were going to get married so I was I was gone I was <laughs> yeah. ready to like to get married and be here and be walking that out faithfully mm-hmm. um and I think my relationship to my artwork became much less tortured and strained mm-hmm. I wasn't working to come up with profound things to make work about I was more awake to what was meaningful and amazing about the world around me and Mm -hmm. which lo and behold is the very kind of stuff that just makes good art Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it became something that wasn't I need I need to make art because that's what I do to I'm a Christian like I am a community member I'm a wife I'm a friend and now I make art out of all these loves that I have and make it more for my friends. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So do you have time to share your unlikely romance? Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, It was unlikely. Well, number one, because no one was interested in me. Like, there wasn't. (laughs) I wasn't telling people no all the time. Like, literally no one asked for, like, seven years. It's amazing. Uh, But when Shane started to show interest... Uh, I was not compelled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this He just didn't seem very serious in the ways that I was serious. Mm-hmm. Kind of a, a, a joker. I mean, if any of you know him now, that's how he is. But more so and just kind of unhinged. And yeah. <laughs> he hadn't been a Christian for very long either. So, But when he did finally ask me out, uh, I couldn't say no because... My principal stated that I was just looking for a godly man and I couldn't write him off as ungodly until we'd actually had a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and there's a whole backstory, too, that I'm sure he would love to tell anyone about yeah. how, you know, h- him leading up to that and the months and months of deliberation. I and love it so much. It's so fun. Because yeah. <laughs> he wasn't interested in me either. He was just trying to um, honor the call that he had on his life to to get married and mm-hmm. to put to death his superficial demands on what his wife should be. So we both had to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we both had to be like, why are we saying no to this available person who mm-hmm. seems to love the Lord and even both have a shared interest in art? So, mm-hmm. so we went on a date and it didn't go bad. No red flags came up. So we said yes again, did it again, and quickly started to see oh, all these things that are very different about us are wildly challenging in ways that point us to Jesus. And that's, <laughs> that's attractive. <laughs> yeah. the, the surprises there were, were, were huge. Yeah. And then you, you made a note about answered prayers. So that happened. It happened. Yeah. Yeah. So anything that you would like to say about, yeah, that unexpected romance. I just love that it just came out of from behind you or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It's just such a precious story. And just to see where y'all are at now, like who who is going to say, oh no, you two don't belong together. Yeah. But back then you might've been like, hmm. Yeah, I thought a I person wonder. who is equipped to lead me had to be better at all the things that I'm good at. 
Mm-hmm. So, and that's like, that, that's the only person who could lead me, especially when I know like the Bible so well, or, mm-hmm. you know, I could pride myself in the knowledge, but that's where Shane stepped in and surprised me and humbled me with his emotional sensitivity, his like excited love for the gospel and his connectedness to his friends and um, how much he learned by like walking alongside in life um, Mm -hmm. godly men, which I was like, wow, everything that you do uh, and you've never read the Bible all the way through is so much more biblical than this Bible that I know so much better than you. Mm. It's like, maybe you you actually probably should lead me. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan and I have kind of a similar story, at least that part in a way. And God grows mustard seeds. I guess I'll just say that. You know, as long as you're willing to follow him, he's not going to say, I'll grow every other flower but you. Like, he will do it. He mm-hmm. literally will. It's in his nature, <laughs> you know? Um, so is there anything else that you want to wrap up with in this section? I think that probably covers all of it <laughs> <laughs> that I wanted to say. <laughs> okay, Sam, this is the part of the podcast that you get to honor a woman in our church family for her Christ-like virtue and praise God for her and pray for her. And if you would, would you do that now? Yes. So I wanted to um, commend and pray for Hannah Gross. I lived with her for, you know, three years out of college before we got married and uh, got to experience Christian sisterhood with her in a very uh, intimate way. And she's a dear friend. Um, She's the friend that more people should have, I think. (laughs) More people should talk to Hannah. She's one of Ryan's favorite people. Yes, she's she's wonderful. Yes, top top five favorite people. But yes, uh, her her endurance through suffering is extremely a a great testament. Um, Her slowness to complain, but then also her humor and uh, steadfast uh, helpfulness. She is a great friend because she will always uh, she will always have a posture and readiness to serve uh, with 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 gladness so I'll pray for her dear Heavenly Father we thank you uh, for our friend Hannah who I've gotten to grow alongside in some very significant seasons for both of us um, I know that you love her um, and you hold her past and her future so I just wanted to pray specifically for her faithfulness and contentment uh, in this season for that unshakable peace that comes from Christ. Lord, I pray that you would be close and precious to her, supplying true joy in the midst of big emotions and chronic pain. I pray she would see your kindness to her in moments of relief and in moments of sustained struggle. Please give her patience and faithfulness in what she has right now as she waits for what you have for her next. I do pray that you would send her a husband to shepherd her the remainder of her days and that you would appoint and embolden this man to see her and approach her even within this coming year. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to The Whole Home Podcast, a podcast that displays the unity of sisters in the local church and the way God so wonderfully gives us to each other in our uniqueness and in our sameness for His glory. The stories we share weave together as one grand testimony to the work of Christ and His faithful presence in the garden of our lives. Remember, the Master Gardener is always at work, so let's yield to Him and grow where we're planted.